0: association
1: with bike come about Uh, that was after the first um, (coughs) windows had been opened in uh, April that year this is 2005 and I was invited to come along to speak to the cadets on their remembrance day about Sunday who
0: who gave you the invite uh, Danny Danny O'Keefe. Yes. Okay, a former head of the cadet unit. Yes, and,
1: and um, came along, and he asked me to speak there because at that stage three old they knew three that some of the Barker boys had died. there. I didn't know anything about who they were, so I came along, and gave the talk, and we had a morning tea. And Rod Kefford, I'd known, who was headmaster. I'd known Rod Kefford since he was nine years old because he was the younger, pesty brother of a friend of mine who <laughs> went to school with. <laughs> I hadn't seen him since I was about twelve years old, so he knew who I was. And um, I showed him that I took along uh, very big um, reproductions of the windows, how they looked, and Rod famously said to me, Oh, he said, if only we'd known that you were raising money for these windows. We had three, because they thought it was three at that stage, actually four, three Barker boys who died over there, and we could have made a substantial donation. And I said have I got news for you? This is only stage one. We're about to do stage two, which is the north and south transept windows, which are going to be called the friendship windows. And they're there to honour the friendship between the local people and the Australians. And um, I said, um, if your donation was sizeable enough, I might be able to arrange to have the names of your old boys put on a little bronze plaque under one of the windows. And he said, how much is this going to cost me? And I said, $12,000 has a very good ring to it. And he said, done. <laughs> done. So Barker handed over the $12,000. dollars we had already had money left over from the first project and we had some other endowments given to us, so we actually had enough money to then straight away do the second one. And um, when the windows were to be opened, um, Rod Kefford and his wife and Danny and a whole stack of cadets came across and they attended the service and um, two of the cadets uh, did the unveiling of their particular window underneath and that's how it all began. But it began with a retiring offertory, uh, the scholarship trust began, began with a retiring offertory on that first Remembrance Day service I spoke at in 2005. And um, Danny suggested that we'd have a retiring offer of a tree and we just started off the scholarship trust. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, we do have, we, do, we, we really do need some money for that. And that's how it started. So the association was back in 2005 and it grew with the windows in 2008 and it's been going on ever since.
0: And how did the visit to Barker College by three of the scholarship students come about?
1: Well, we really could. We we noted this down, and our private thought was we really couldn't imagine anybody from Barker actually being able to go and exchange program over there because you know, it's pretty basic. Oh, yeah. yeah, not an issue. No, boy, no boys for a start, but it might be possible to bring some girls out. So um, Rod was very keen to do it, and uh, we floated it with the um, then church people, and they basically said, oh not at this stage, it's hard enough getting the parents to agree to let these girls come in from these remote villages to Sundakar, right, just a town, without letting them out of their sight to go overseas. Anyway, we, because that was that was early on. So it took us about what, six, seven years. Um, the girls all got to know us. they go home and talk about the parents. They call us Datuk and Nenik, which is grandma and grandpa in in Tucson language, that we've been to visit, and we got to know them very well, and, and people then realised that they saw these girls going through this program, they saw them going off to university, they saw them graduating in things like biotechnics in a degree in that, Yeah. for a girl that's come from a remote village
0: it's amazing. that would have
1: never had any education, and gradually the um, the confidence of the, the parents, and so um, we then had three whose English was good enough, and who... Uh, were outgoing enough and uh, in the final year to be invited to come out to Barker and they spent three weeks here as boarders, uh, which was huge. They had never left Sandakan. They had never seen high-rise a, 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 a high-rise building. They had never seen a bathtub where hot and cold water came out. They'd ne- never been in an aeroplane, never seen TVs in the back of the seats. And Yes, um, so we took to them uh, <laughs> the Opera House and um, a friend of ours paid for them to see the Nutcracker, the ballet. So and they had wonderful experiences here and they lived up in the boarding house and they had a wonderful time here, everyone looked after them. And uh, it was a most amazing experience. We wanted them to see that there were opportunities outside their own little limited world. And that if, if, they, if they studied hard, these opportunities would be open up to them to see a bigger world. And it was a, a, we. Might, I don't know if we'll be able to do it ever again because you know you've got to have the right sort of kids to be able to come along. But it was a very good experience for everybody. The Barker people, um, they, they really, I think the girls that they in the um, in the boarding house really really couldn't fathom that somebody had come from such you know basic living conditions, yeah. and um, and the girls sort of eyes were as big as saucers. <laughs> it, it was very, very good. Yeah. Um, do you keep track of the scholarship recipients after they finish? Like, are there some that stick in your mind? Well, we've been... It's quite hard because they once they go off, they disappear to various universities. But, yes, we do try to keep track of some of them, and uh, we know that of the three girls that came out here to Barker, Susie has some. Uh, is working with um, Malaysian Telecom, and apparently it must be some quite good job because she's having to really knuckle down and do it. Um, Genevia is still doing her um, pharmacy studies, and Agnes is doing aquaculture. Final his, a final exam on Sunday. Wow! She'll be finished. So they're the three that came out to visit Embark, and they're they're doing very well. And the biotechnics girl, I don't know where she's working, but yes, we do keep track of them. One, another one who, they're very funny, these girls. They, when we go over, we ask them what, every time we see them, what what do you want to do when you leave school? And this particular one was going to be a policeman, then police lady, then she's going to be a teacher, then she's going to be a model. (laughs) And now she's doing electrical engineering. Wow. So work that one out.
0: It's
1: a bit of a change of direction. (laughs) Exactly. So she, she's down at Kuching, down there at a at university down there. She's gone down there for some this, reason. This we
0: do keep in touch. We try very hard. It? It's yeah. Must make you very proud, very happy to see where the work ends up.
1: Oh, yeah, you know, I mean, we get the accolades for this. And we get the kudos. We're the two with the gongs. But I say to everybody... We're the ones that make it happen, but we're supported by this huge... I call it my Silent Army. The Silent Army are the people who received my Borneo newsletter, about 1,200 people, and they're the, they're the relatives of the prisoners of war who were tremendously um, uh, generous and people who have been trekking with us. And, for instance, uh, when there was an earthquake over there in 2015, we were actually there when it happened, right there. The epicentre was under Mount Kinabalu, and um, our, fortunately our boys had just, uh, who come with us on the treks, they'd just gone back to the village, and they were fortunately there, not on the mountain, because 18 people were killed on the mountain. Um, they were back at the village, but 10 of their houses were either totally destroyed or very badly damaged. Now, no good whistling for help over in supper from anybody, right? You've got to do it yourself. A having... Bit like it used to be out here in Australia in the outback, you know? Something went wrong, you had to look after yourself. And uh, we found out that uh, they, had the, they had the energy to rebuild their houses, but not the money, because no-one had any insurance. So I sent out a special newsletter called an earthquake edition saying, right, you know, these are the and people that um, looked after our prisoners of war, saved their lives of the six, and risked their lives to help many others on the track. Um, you know, they're down and out. We, they really need some help. All we need is money. No. The money just poured in. And there was sufficient money for all those houses to be rebuilt to a much higher standard than before, stronger standard than before. And uh, at the so end it's of it, three we, to be rebuilt three be, to be rebuilt. Re- repaired. At the end of it, we had money left over, and we thought it will be good to do something for the village. And so we asked the head man. And he said, "Oh, we said, what we really need is we need some toilets at the end of the road coming up the, the village. village now the village village is on very very steep sided. Right? I mean, you got to be like a mountain goat." And the road only goes certain, it's very steep, goes certain way. And then you've got to keep on walking. It's sort of, you know, it's like being in the Swiss Alps. So they're actually on the side of Mount Kilimanjaro. It's very, it's about four 5,000, feet, wherever it is. It's cold there in the winter. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in, not the winter, in the rainy season, it rains a lot. And um, that there's a bus that comes to collect the kids to take them down the mountain to the school. Um, and these little kids have to walk down for the mountain and they're only small and they get to wait for the bus and they're jumping around because they get caught short, right? There's nowhere to go. Mm. And so the village asked, could we build some toilets? <laughs> so we did. And they're proper septic toilets with you know, all tiled and two, two in there and it's all beautifully done with very nice detailing and the headman man contacted us and said we'd like to put... We like to call it the Neil N- 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 Silver <laughs> Toilet. and I said, "Oh, I don't think Neil N- Silver toilets a very good name." I said, and I thought about it. And I said to Neil, oh, "I've got the perfect name, and it's called the Dunny." And we were
0: to right
1: to do, the Dunny, it's called. A a the Dunny, a gift from Australian friends, and they said, "What's a Dunny?" I said, "It's an Australian word for a toilet outside." So they built all this, and the head man had been very uh, judicious with his contracting to the subcontractors, and we had some more money left over. So um, what else do you need? Oh, well, at the other end, down at the school bus stop, the kids have got to stand out in the pouring rain waiting for the bus, you know, oh, without this shelter. Rain. And the poor the the broiling heat, got to, we really do need some sort of shelter. We've been asking the government. Nobody's helped us, you know. There is supposed to be a government program, but this village is too It'll off the train. Never going to happen. <laughs> I, never, never. So um, we got the quotes, and um, the, soon as we, soon as we sent the money, oh, well, they went off and got all the materials and had a working bee, and now this shelter's been built, and he said, "What do you want to call this one?" I said, "We're going to call this one the gunya, which is the Aboriginal word for shelter." Well so right. this is the Ganya. I get from Australia. Oh, nice. <laughs> so, so now the whole village now calls it the Dunny, and the, the Dunny is very useful because anybody who happens to be at the part village can go and use it. And they also have um, tourists are coming from overseas that go off to a jungle survival course, and that's as far as they can go in the little mini bus. And they're always needing to go. <laughs> the long ride
0: on the
1: bus so the dummy gets plenty of (laughs) (laughs)
0: use okay so today you've told us a lot about your wonderful activities with trusts and the projects but you also operate um, tours along the track Mm-hmm. Uh, as well as um, organising ANZAC services at um, Sandarkin. Yep. If people want to donate or get involved in any of the initiatives, how would they do this?
1: Just, just to go on my website, just Google Yep. and there's a lot of information on there. There's information about all the projects, the community projects, investigations, all the books I've done. There's a lot of information on special operations plus a whole section on Sundarkand, which tell uh, an overview of what it's about, and then various things going on, the various stuff that we've done over there. And um, just, then they just contact me and we tell, tell them how to donate and uh, every single cent that's donated goes to whatever the project what is. I mean, the, project we, is. We, the two of us, it's our, our contribution is to bear the cost, all the administrative costs, uh, even the stamps on the envelopes yep. to pay for the receipt. And uh, no money is taken out of any of those projects for any reason at all other than to send the money straight across. And I think that's one reason why we get huge... um Support because people are sick of giving to charities where they know that only 20 cents of the dollar mm. actually reaches the recipient. We also keep everybody who's donated up to speed on the newsletter I send out about four times a year, three, four times a year, called Borneo News, which has loads of pictures. So when we we're doing the Dunny project, we sent pictures <laughs> of the completed Dunny and what was going on and the people involved, and we sent yep. pictures of scholarship girls, and uh, when I went to see Domoit, you know, his story. So over the years, everybody's been filled in on the background of all of this. And um, anyone who's energetic can come and do a walk along the death march for 95 kilometres. People are not energetic and what creature comforts they usually come on Anzac Day, which follows the death march but in an air-conditioned vehicle <laughs> along the road. And they sort of have to point out where things are in the distance.
0: Excellent. Oh, we look forward to seeing you both uh, back for the church parade this Sunday, 2019 that is. Um, and hopefully we can also raise some reasonable funds for the trust there. We're um, selling some poppies as well, uh, which is great. Thank you so much for coming in to talk to us today, Lynette and Neil Silver. Thank,
1: thank you, and thank you. thank you Barker and the cadets in particular for very good commitment and very wonderful ongoing support. And I, I'm sure the cadets will appreciate you know, that all the effort they put in changes people's lives forever it's not very often as an individual you get a chance to change somebody's life but all these people in all these projects particularly the hair project and the the girls scholarship it's changing their life beyond any dream there's no way they could ever achieve this without a little bit of a helping hand and uh, that's something i think the cadets and barker in particular should be very proud of and we thank you very much on behalf of those recipients
0: you're welcome it's our honor thank you very much